good morning and welcome. My name is John, one of the pastors here, and uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, glad to have you here and worshiping with us on this Sunday morning. We are in a series through the book of Luke, and uh, we're continuing on in that. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 49. Luke 6, 43 to 49. Starting in verse 43 of Luke 6. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, and the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and, it was, and its destruction was complete. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would speak to us today, Lord, through your word. We thank you that your words are living words, empowered by your spirit to bring change to us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not just hear what you have to tell us, but we pray that through the spirit-enabled word, you would actually empower us to live as you would want us to live, to put your words into practice. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We are so helpless. We are so weak. We need you. Father, would your spirit come and give us the power to actually live as you would call us to live. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Many of you all uh, probably know that our main family vacation this year was we took a two-week trip out to Oregon. We rented a camper and drove around, toured a lot of uh, southern Oregon and parts of the coast. And for part of it, the last bit of our trip, we camped right near the beach. And uh, each day we would gather all our stuff, a sunshade, the cooler, towels, uh, sunscreen, toys, sometimes a surfboard, and take it all down to the beach and set up camp. And the beach there, the one we went to, Bastendorf Beach, was a perfect beach for kids. There were acres and acres of sand, and the slope was so gradual, you could walk 100 feet out into the ocean, but the water would only be up to your waist, and it was a perfect place for the kids to play. But because the slope was so gradual, it meant there was a really big difference between the, where the water went up to at low tide and where it went up to at high tide. And so each day we would try to guess how far the water would come up and set our sunshade and everything up just past that so we wouldn't be surprised as the waves came in. Because nothing is worse than setting up everything on the beach and relaxing while the kids are playing in the sand and you're kind of dozing off as you read pages of your book and suddenly a wave with high tide comes and soaks everything that you have. Right? Where you set your sunshade on the beach matters. For six hours, everything can be perfect, and everything can be peaceful. Life can be good, but all it takes is one big wave to come and ruin it all. 
being unexpectedly soaked, your book, your towels, your phone, chasing kids' sandals as they're carried off into sea, will wash away all of the peace from the previous six hours. And this is the same principle that Jesus is getting at on our passage. Where you set your life matters. Where you plant your life matters. What you build your life on matters. You can have what looks like a great life, a good house, good family, good job, good looking. But there will come a time where you will discover if you placed your life in the right place. Or will everything be washed away by a wave? And what comes out of that testing will impact your life much more than all the years of everything looking great on the outside. We're in a series through the book of Luke that we've called The King Has Come, because Luke shows us that Jesus is the king of all creation, and he is establishing his kingdom. And this sermon of Jesus that we've been working through is Jesus showing us what his kingdom looks like. And now we come to the end, and he's asking us this question. Are you building your life on his kingdom? in his kingdom? Are you building your life on his kingdom principles? And the question I want you to ask yourself is really just that question. What are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? And we're going to look at this just two ways. First, good fruit, and then second, good foundation. So first, good fruit. Uh, We've been in Luke 6 for a while, and this is most of it is this long sermon of Jesus. And today we get to the end. And if you've been with us through these teachings, you know that Jesus has had a lot of hard things to say, things that have challenged me, that have challenged you, things about loving your enemies, giving to anyone who asks. In some ways, I've likened Jesus' sermon here to like a campaign announcement speech where a a politician is outlining his or her platform for what they're going to do. This is what my kingdom would look like if I was elected as president or whatever office. But Jesus' political platform is one that is opposite of any of the politicians back then and any of them today. It's It's a platform, a kingdom, where the poor are blessed, where we're called to love our enemies where we give to those who ask, where we aren't judgmental and condemning of others and more things. And now that we come to the end, Jesus wraps this all up by basically challenging us to put what he has said into action. He's telling the crowd, and and in the same way, telling each of you, if you go home after this sermon and all these sermons and just keep living the same way you've always have, you've gained nothing. Jesus wants his words to change your life. For people who are part of his kingdom, he's saying your life, your actions should look different from those people around you. We should be able to rejoice when people reject us because they rejected Jesus. We should love our enemies because Jesus died for his enemies. We should give to others freely because Jesus freely gave up all of the riches and comfort of heaven to be born in a lowly manger. So does your life reflect the principles of Jesus? Or does it look just like your neighbor's with maybe a few little tweaks? Can people tell that you are living for a different goal, a different purpose, a different kingdom, based on how you spend your time, how you spend your money, 
how you talk about others, how you treat people who are different than you, how you treat people who don't like you, how you deal with the stress at your job or an irritable coworker. And Jesus gives us two illustrations to help us understand the importance of us actually living according to his kingdom rules. First, he gives us this illustration about trees. It's so simple, and yet it's immensely profound. No good tree bears bad fruit, or, and no bad tree bears good fruit. Now, it's hard to recognize a tree just by its twigs or just by its leaves, unless you, you know, are particularly skilled in, in knowing what a tree is. But anybody can recognize an apple tree when it has apples on it. Right? You instantly know what kind of tree it is. Maybe you've moved into a new house and you moved in over winter when all the trees were dormant. And few things are so as exciting as when spring comes and the tree blossoms and all of a sudden you see tiny little cherries emerging from the blossoms. You're like, whoa, I didn't know we had a cherry tree in our backyard. Right? The fruit shows you the type of tree it is. And the tree dictates the type of fruit that will come from it. And no one ever went picking apples and tumbleweeds. Or no one is shaking a, shakes a thistle to try to get some blueberries out of it. And Jesus says you know what kingdom you belong to based on the fruit that is coming out of your life. So what you do, what you say, these things are the fruit of that tree of what is in your heart. And what is that fruit? Well, we could just go forward to the book of Galatians that talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit that should emerge from the lives of those people who are believers. And it's a fruit that should emerge from your life, not just when things are good, but particularly during dry spells and harsh seasons. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Jesus doesn't say the good fruit comes because your life is easy. He says the good fruit comes because of what is in your heart. Now, when ugly stuff comes out of us, what do we often do? We point to external things, right? Well, it's because of what they said. I've just been so stressed lately. I'm just fed up with them. I couldn't handle anything more. But Jesus says, not so fast. Your environment doesn't dictate the fruit, right? It's not like you plant a tree in a certain place and it's going to become an apple tree, or you take it and put it somewhere else and it becomes a banana tree. No. Your fruit comes out of what is in your heart. And he reminds us of that very simple thing that our parents always told us growing up, which really annoyed you as a kid when you're pointing your finger at your brother and sister saying, well, they're the problem. And they say what? Well, remember, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Our external circumstances, stress at work, a bad night's sleep, difficult people, those things do affect us, but they're external. And what they do is they simply add more pressure to squeeze out what is already on the inside. It's kind of like when you're cleaning a paintbrush. I was just doing this this last weekend, and you can you know, run water over the paintbrush, and pretty quickly all the paint goes away and the water runs clear. But as soon as you kind of stick your fingers in the paintbrush and start massaging it around, what happens? The water turns the color of the paint instantly because down deep, there's still gobs of paint in that brush. 
And it's the same with our heart. And most of the time when everything's good, it's just like a trickle of water and everything looks good and dandy. But the stress comes and it's like it works its way down into deeper in our heart and out comes stuff, and usually not that looks good, but is dark and ugly. External circumstances aren't the ultimate reason why you react poorly in a situation. They only apply heat, the pressure, to bring out what has already been sitting in your heart. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. So the next time you're at your wit's end and about to explode and are tempted to say something to that person or react poorly in a situation, remember Jesus' words. For out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Out of the mouth doesn't speak what the other person is full of. Out of the mouth speaks what your heart is full of. What comes out when things get rough? What comes out of you when the pressure's on? And instead of justifying it or dismissing it, well, they made me do it. I've just been so stressed. Recognize that actually you've just gotten a glimpse to some of the things that are growing in your heart and to seek to change that, to put what is good and, and, and healthy in there instead of just leaving, living with that grime. And when we think of some of the difficult things that Jesus has told us in this sermon, it's really remarkable. If you go back to verse 22 of chapter 6, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you. Or verse 27, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus is saying, you'll know who my people are, not because how nice they are when everything is good and dandy and the weather's 75 degrees and everybody's happy. You will know who my people are because when they are squeezed and when they are pressured, they smell more like Jesus instead of filth. When they are at their wit's end, they don't fight fire with fire, they don't sling mug back at the other person, but you see a bountiful harvest of fruit in their lives. Love, joy, gentleness. And, and as I work through this, it's tough. I mean, I probably, like you, realize how far we are from this ideal. Every day, you're tempted to throw mud back at some situation that, you know, irritated you. And we want to judge our fruit. We want to judge our lives when things are easy. Say, oh, look at all these good things I do to my friends. I, I'm loving to them. I take care of my family. But remember what Jesus said earlier on. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love people that love them. You want to measure your love. How do you love the people that don't love you? See what comes out when you're stressed. And usually it's not very pretty. And this brings us then to our second point, a good foundation. So Jesus now gives us the second illustration. It's about two people building a house and Notice the transition here. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. Jesus here doesn't care how much you listen to his words. He cares how much you put them into practice. There's an aspect to the Christian life that is something like training for an athletic event. It requires self-control, practice, failing, but getting up and trying again. Are you actively 
practicing, seeking to live a Christian life. Now, I know some of us, myself included, like to, you know, uh, catalog your runs or upload them all to Strava or your bike rides or, you know, some other platform. And it, it's fun to track all that, right? It can be a little bit discouraging to you when you say, how, how fast was I last year compared to this year? Right? But there's an aspect to the Christian life that is a bit like that, that we should see ourselves as athletes working to put into practice what Jesus has said, looking for gains in our life. You don't float through the Christian life. There is a fight to it. There is self-discipline required. There is that work of actually letting Jesus' words sink in and fighting to live them. Jesus gives us this illustration to show the difference between someone who puts his words into practice and someone who doesn't. So first, a man builds a house and digs down deep and lays his foundation on the rock. And when the storm comes and it floods, the house stays put because it was on a solid foundation. And this is the person who puts Jesus' words into practice. And then second, there's a man who builds his house by laying just the beams on the ground. He doesn't tie it into any foundation. And when the storm comes and it floods, the ground shifts and the whole house collapses. That is the person who hears Jesus' words but does not put them into practice. And I want to take just a few moments to kind of think of what Jesus is saying here. First, notice the emphasis again that Jesus has on putting his words into practice. Both people hear Jesus' words. The difference is the one who actually puts them into practice. And this should be a warning for us. It doesn't matter how much you come to church, how much you read your Bible, how many Christian podcasts you listen to, how much theology you know. None of that makes an ounce of difference if it is not actually leading to change in your life, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that Jesus is talking about, love and joy and peace, caring for those who are difficult. You know, sometimes we think of Christianity as a, an intellectual religion. I, I know these truths, I know this theology, but I think so often we've missed this emphasis that Jesus has. We wrongly will emphasize the intellectual and think, I'm a mature Christian because of all these things that I know, when you're not spending any time actually seeking to live in accordance with Jesus. Now, you do need the intellectual. You need to hear Jesus' words. But that's only half of the equation. None of that is going to do any good for you if it's not actually changing your day-to-day life, how you live and react to difficult people how you love those who don't love you. And notice the difference, too, between how the fact that you probably don't know the difference between these two houses until the storm comes. Like two houses can be built. You don't look at the foundation. You don't often see the foundation. It just looks like a good house from the outside. Both houses look the same. I, I'm sure you all remember that the earthquake we had back in March of 2020. And during that time, unfortunately, there were a lot of people who discovered their house hadn't been constructed well. It was amazing how in some houses, nothing happened. You just felt a little, you know, jiggle and straighten some pictures. But other people's houses, there was uh, one of the pastors that lived down in Salt Lake, discovered a previous owner had built a chimney but hadn't secured it properly to his house. And when the earth shook, that chimney topped over into their living room and did over $100,000 
worth of damage in a six-some-month rebuilding process. Now, you never would have known that just from looking on the outside. Right? The earth shook, and it revealed the house that had been built well and the house that had these corners cut. It's easy to hide a bad foundation, and that's the same with your life. It's easy to have everything look good on the outside. It's easy to have a certain image in front of others, but you don't have a foundation. But one day, an earthquake's coming. One day, a flood will come that will shake your life and reveal what you've been building your life on. Remember those words that we're supposed to put into practice? Earlier on in Jesus' sermon, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold from them your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Now, on the other hand, you might not be able to tell which house has the good foundation or not, but maybe they don't look the same. The person who actually lives according to Jesus' words here probably won't have as nice a house as the other person because they're giving away, they're helping others. They're not as focused on building this big house. And the other person, well, hey, he skipped on having to pay for the foundation. He's like, no one sees the foundation, but they'll see my six-car garage. And Jesus is saying, not everything in the world is as it appears from the outside. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a house by its square footage. Don't judge a person by their zip code. Don't judge success by someone's salary. Don't judge a family by their photos. Those things are not the foundation in this world. All of that stuff can look great, but it won't do an ounce of good in keeping your house up when the earthquake comes. And this brings us back to the very beginning of Jesus' words. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Now, as I've gone through this whole section, I don't think Jesus at the beginning there is telling us oh, you need to pursue those things in the sense that, well, Jesus says, blessed are the poor, so every time I get my paycheck, I'm going to give away 90% so I don't have enough money for rent. Or I need to just buy half as many groceries so that we're always a little bit hungry because Jesus said, that's blessed. Now, no, Jesus is not saying you need to pursue those things. But what I think he is saying, and I didn't understand this until the end. I wish I'd understood this at the beginning of this section, but I see how this all ties together as I've worked through it. He's saying here that if you live according to his kingdom principles, if you put his commands into practice, it might lead to difficulty in your life. It might lead to you not having as much as others. It might lead to you losing a job because you stand up for your Christian beliefs. It might mean that you're a little hungrier because you couldn't afford to buy everything because you lost your job. It might mean that people speak ill of you and think you're so backwards and you're so bigoted because you're standing up for what the Bible says. And at that point, Jesus reminds us, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. 
He's saying if you find yourself in that place, when it comes to that point where it costs you to follow Jesus, and when you lose those things and your life maybe doesn't turn out like you dreamed and you don't have everything else that your peers do because you don't live like them, Jesus says, don't think you've missed out. Realize you're closer to the kingdom than you've been. Those things are not the foundation of your life. Your money, your financial security, your job security, your food security, those things are not the foundation for life. Jesus is. And his kingdom will last far longer than the strongest fortresses of this earth. His provision will outlast all the food stores in Utah. If you have him, you have enough. If you have those other things, that's great. It's nice to have extra money to go take a vacation or enjoy these things. There's nothing wrong with having a good house. Let those things be ways for you to glorify God, but never mistake them for your foundation. What is your life built on? What are you pursuing? What are you saving up for? How do you treat people who aren't nice to you? How much time do you spend criticizing others in your own thought life? What is your dream life 10 years from now? Will all those things you're pursuing make any difference in a thousand years? Jesus is saying you're you're measuring your life, you're measuring disaster on the wrong scale. To lose your life for Jesus in this world is to gain it. To have your livelihood taken away because you're standing up for your Christian convictions, that's hard, but that's not a disaster. And I know of no better way to understand this than to look at Jesus' own life through this sermon. Blessed are you who are poor. Jesus said he had no place to lay his head. Blessed are you who hunger. Early in Jesus' ministry, he was led out to the wilderness where for 40 days he ate nothing and was tempted. Blessed are you who weep now. Jesus wept. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. Blessed are you when people hate you and insult you. At Jesus' crucifixion, it tells us the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and the elders mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. And when he hung limp on that cross, and from the world's perspective, it looked like he had lost, and people surrounded him and shouted, loser. In that moment, Jesus revealed that his life was built on a foundation that crucifixion couldn't touch. It could take away those things, but it couldn't take away his life. Because Jesus rested his life in a bedrock that was deeper than death, that was stronger than the worst the Roman government could throw at him. He put his hands into God, or put his life into God's hands. Philippians 2 says, When Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. 
See, the Christian life, the path to it, looks like one that maybe to the world looks like foolishness. It looks like weakness. It looks like giving up every good thing in this life. But what Jesus shows us is that is actually the way to gain your life back. That is the way to enter into his heavenly city where there are riches beyond measure, the best wine, the best steak, the best food, the best fellowship. And that will last forever. And that means in this life, when we pursue God, and when it gets hard, and when it means it feels you're, you're just on the short, get, drawing the short stick for everything and suffering because you're trying to do what is right, putting Jesus' words into practice is actually the safest place to be. The strongest place is living the Christian life, even when it looks like a weak foolishness to this world. Because Jesus is coming back to test people's foundations. That's what the final judgment is. And what you've been building your life on will be revealed. So what are you building your life on? Let me wrap up just by reading this little section from 1 Peter 2. For God has called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us to live this way that really is so, so impossible for us to live. Father, help us to be people that bear beautiful fruit the harder life gets. And Lord, there is no way we can do that on our own. That goes against everything our flesh desires. But Lord, that is supernatural fruit. That is fruit that lasts. And in those places, even when it's hard, there is a joy and a peace that will go deeper than our suffering. Change what we're living for, Lord. Help us to live as Christians, that people would know we're Christians, because how we act is so different from other people. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.